Amen. Can we just lift our hands to heaven and just thank the Lord for all that He's done in our lives? God, we just give you the glory. We give you the praise, Lord, because it's you and you alone this morning. We stand here this morning because it's Christ alone. We thank you, Lord. That, amen. You have done it, Lord. And we can look back and say, you have been with us, Lord. No matter what we've gone through, you have been with us, Lord. And we praise you this morning because, Lord, you're a promise keeper, Lord. Lord, we bless you with everything that's within us, and we give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Wow, it's good to see everybody here today. Amen. But we're we just excited about what the Lord's doing. And, and how many can honestly say you're so thankful for the Lord today? Because, you know, you were somebody and sin made you nobody. But aren't you glad that Jesus found nobody and made him a somebody? Amen. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that his company is people that are nobodies? Amen. Just the dregs of society. Amen. People, uh, th people that have been pushed aside and, and uh, you know, God loves just, just to use us, amen, as his <coughs> trophies and just as people that he's done a work in. And uh, I'm so glad for that. I'm so glad that he doesn't look and, and look at your social class and look at uh, how much money you have and what your family did and all this stuff. I mean, he takes whosoever will come. And, and makes them his. Amen. And so thankful for that today. Uh, how many believe that God's not done with that? That there's so many people today, amen, that he wants to draw to himself and make his. Aren't you glad? Sometimes we get so, uh, we're Christians so long, we get saved, sanctified, and petrified. And uh, we get, we're so, saved so long, amen, it becomes the first church of the frigid air, you know, the frozen chosen, that we just are so happy that God chose us and and didn't really, you know, but aren't you glad that he's still saving, he's still loving, he's still reaching, amen, his blood is just as strong today as it was, amen, when it came from Calvary, amen, we're so thankful for that today, and so we do have something to sing about, we do have something to shout about, we do have something to smile about today, that man, he is still loving, he's still reaching, and he's still, amen, bringing people into his kingdom, aren't you glad for that, amen, so glad he didn't stop with me, what a mess, and Amen. But 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and <clears throat> just uh, goes into a little something today. I want to talk to you about maybe a prayer that we have prayed, maybe once in your life, maybe a couple times in your life, maybe you prayed it this week, but the prayer is, Jesus, change me. Jesus, change me. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, love this, um, this chapter, and then the next chapter, so, so incredible. I'm only going to read one verse at this point, and then later on we'll read couple more uh, in 2 Corinthians. But it says this, but we all, meaning all of us, with open face, beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. <clears throat> in Romans chapter 12, if you turn back over in your Bible to Romans chapter 12, Paul is urging the church and it starts out with, I beseech you. Now we don't say that today, but means I'm urgently talking to you. I'm saying this in an urgent manner. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies, or because of the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. The least you can do is what he's saying. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed or changed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good, acceptable, perfect will of God. I honestly believe that the issues in our society today are consistent with the issues that we've had all along in human history, and that is the heart of man needs to change. 
We can trace our problems as a society back to a problem of the heart. Can we not? Can we not? We can't blame the government. We can't blame our family. We can't blame a lot of things in life. But one thing we can point back to, and that is the heart of man that needs to change. And I believe that in this hour, we need to have a message that changes people. Because the gospel is a message of conversion. Did you know that? The gospel is a message of conversion. The gospel is not a call to a club, to an organization. It's not a call to a religion or a, a secret society or a special people group. It is a call for repentance and that call for repentance is a call for conversion. Jesus said repent and in one place it says that they uh, were repenting and being baptized calling on the name of the Lord for the conversion of their sin because of the conversion that was happening in their life. Conversion can't happen without repentance. I, I, I believe that. Conversion into the kingdom of God cannot happen without repenting from sin. That's how we are converted. Aren't you glad for the miracle of conversion? Aren't you glad this morning that when you believed in your heart, with all your heart, that God raised Jesus from the dead? The Bible says you were saved. Amen. You were born again. There was something that happened in your life. A miracle took place on the inside, and you were translated from the, amen, the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and you were given eternal life. Amen. Aren't you glad for that? I'm glad for that. But the gospel is a message of conversion, a message of change. It is a message to change. It is a message that changes you, but it is a message that goes on in your life that as you live it out, as you walk with the Lord, that you continue to confront change in your life. You continue to entertain change. You continue to move in change. You continue to live a life uh, that is really surrounded by a culture of change. Did you know that? The kingdom of God is about a culture of change. That we are being converted unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad that we're not converted to a religion, we're converted to a person. Amen. And that person is Jesus Christ. And so um, there is changing power that's in Jesus. I honestly believe that. There is changing power. I'm just going to say a few statements that are introduced just what I want to talk about change. But I believe that we need to really realize that it's coming down to a place that we as a people group have got to change. We've got to change some thinking. We've got to change some ways about us. We've got to change. See, society without God doesn't understand change. They, they just won't see it. They don't get it. But we see change because we see Jesus Christ. Jesus changed us. Amen. And Jesus represents conversion. He represents transformation. He is the God that changes you. Do you believe that? I believe that. And Jesus... Uh, one of the things I honestly believe that Jesus isn't trying to make a better you. He's trying to make a new you. <laughs> he doesn't want to make a better version of you. He wants to make a brand new you. Amen. The Bible says that old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Amen. That we are new creatures in Christ Jesus. Amen. How many believe that when you're baptized, Jesus was the new man that you put on? Amen. We are new. We have a new family, we have a new future, we have a new faith, we have a new father. Come on, we have a new talk, a new walk, a new purpose. We are brand new, amen. 
This is a rebirthing. This is a new day for us. And this is when you get saved. This is a, uh, we call it rebirth or being born again. The Bible says there is a conversion that happens. There is a change that happens. And just what we read in our text in 2 Corinthians, if you read this, and we, we don't have time to go into it, but it goes in and talks about the glory that was in the Old Covenant through Moses and what Moses experienced. But then the Bible says that Moses put a veil over his face at one point in time because the glory was fading. And so the glory of the old covenant was fading away to make room for the new covenant. The, the Bible says it's a new and living way. And he said, and it says that, that this is why it says that we behold in a glass darkly or a glass the glory of the Lord. We're looking in a mirror. Because the glory that was in the Old Covenant, under the Old Covenant, was fading away so to make room for a new and glorious, amen, person, Jesus Christ, right? And that was the glory that we see. And so I believe that as we see here, as you read the scripture, that the Old Covenant had its glory. It really did. But it could never transform our lives. Never. Come on, the law couldn't, what, the Bible says what the law could not do, it could not transform your heart. It could not transform your life in the sense that we know it, being born again. It could, it, you know, you were under the umbrella, you were under the protection, the acceptance of the Lord, but not under the forgiveness of God. Because only the forgiveness comes through the blood of Jesus. Only the forgiveness of sins comes through the blood of Jesus. Amen. And so it could never transform their life, as it's talking about here, under the old covenant. It couldn't do that. Uh, God uses the, the new covenant as we see it here to make us transform people, not just nice people, not just better people, but a new people. Amen. The Bible says that we are a new generation, a chosen people, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, right? We are a new generation and the generation that is in the new covenant. So give me a second here, just laying this groundwork about change. Jesus died to change you. And if you don't believe that, amen, you'll get a little bit closer to the Lord this week, you'll find out, oh yes, he did. Jesus died to change you. You were a sinner, Jesus died that you could be a son or a daughter of the Most High God. That you could be forgiven and you could have eternal life. He died to change you. Aren't you glad for that? Some of you might have to remind somebody this week, hey, Jesus died to change you, it's time to change. Amen? No, I'm just kidding, don't do that. They may change you, your walk. They may change your eyesight. I don't know. I mean, don't, get, don't do that. Amen. But the more I see how much God loves me, the more I'm changed. Isn't that true? The more I see, and as Romans says here, because of the mercies of God, because of what Jesus did, through what came through Jesus, the Bible says because of the mercies of God, amen, something happens to us. Something can happen. The transformation can happen when we look and see how much God loves us and how much mercy he has for us. And I like this about the Lord, that he brings a heart change. And not only a heart change, he brings a life change. And with the life change comes a world change. I'm just noticing that. If you want your world to change, amen, how many know your life needs to change? And if your life needs to change, your heart needs to change, amen. But once your heart changes, your life will change, there's a world change. And, and, and don't you ever just listen to somebody and, you know, as they're talking or online and you're thinking, man, this person just really doesn't love the Lord. They don't like Christians. They're, they've got all kinds of hate coming out of their mouth. Do you know, one of the things you've got to realize about that person is they just don't have the encounter with the living God that transforms them from hate to love. They just don't have it. They just don't know it. And their worldview is not changed. How many know when you're born again, there's a world view that you take on. It's different than when you were without the Lord. It's different. 
It's just different. And I believe that one of the things that we're going to see through the uh, Outreach Center and through River Valley Mission is that we want to see people's worldview change. We want to see them come from a place of I need help to how can I help. How many know that's a worldview change? Yes, it is. Uh, you know, just, just going from a place of begging to, amen, lending. How many know that's a world change? Amen. And we want to do that, and that's what the Lord does. And so, you know, so many people want a temporary relief, but God wants a permanent change. He's after permanent change. That's really what He's after. And I believe that the most powerful, significant, lasting change happens in us, not just around us. Thank God for what's happening around us, but how many believe that what's really significant once happens in us? And that's what the Lord's after. Amen. I believe that through the Word of God, there's tremendous counseling. I want to say that there's amazing therapy and a philosophy and theology that's in the Word of God that changes you. There is medicine, the Bible says the Word of God is like medicine that changes you. Isn't that right? Amen. Aren't you glad that God's got His own therapy program for you? He's got His own medicine for you. He's got His own, come on, philosophy for you. Is that right? And it changes you. It changes the way you behave. It changes the way you live. It changes the way you think. How many know Jesus changed the way you lived? Not just the way you thought. He's changed the way you behaved. Come on, anybody lift your hand to heaven and say, I, I, I'm behaving a little bit better now. I'm, I'm behaving a little different now that I met the Lord. Amen. You know, that never changes, does it? It keeps going on and on with the Lord. And so that's what the Lord does. And someone said, you know, as the church, we're not into behavioral modification. We're into soul transformation. And that sounds romantic, but ultimately, when you meet Jesus, something's going to happen to your behavior. And I don't know about you, but some of us in the church need to look at the world and say, your behavior needs to change a little bit. It can only be, you know, the behavior needs to change. And it's not something that we go around and have to police people. It's a wonderful work of the Holy Spirit that when you get close to the Lord and fall in love with Jesus, all of a sudden there's a transformation. There's a behavior modification that goes on with the Holy Spirit. Amen. He begins to change your behavior. Aren't you glad for that? And all the wives said, Amen. There, there's a behavior modification that goes on. Not only a soul transformation. I love that about the Lord. He cares for me that much. Amen. The Bible says that the heart of man is what? Deceitful, desperately wicked, and no one knows it but the Lord. Amen. But how many know nobody can change it but the Lord? Amen. And aren't you glad that, amen, uh, before you met the Lord, it was impossible. People looked at you and said, it's impossible for you to change. You're never going to change. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. You've got behavioral issues that go back generations. You'll never change. You'll never get outside under that oppression that you've, you've, you've decided for yourself and forged in for your lifestyle. But how don't you know our testimony is completely different today? Amen. That we have changed. We can change. We will change because of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And I think in Romans chapter 12, what it describes here, it says... Notice what it says, and I need to get a little further here. It says, be transformed. Be you transformed. So you be transformed. You be transformed. Now we read in 2 Corinthians, and I can read in other places where it says that God changes you. The Spirit of the Lord does it. That we're changed from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. That's what it says in the Bible. How many believe what the Scripture says in the Old Testament? It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by the Spirit of the Lord. He does it. God does it. But then we look at Romans chapter 12, and it's... It would almost say, well, we have something to do with it. How many believe we do have something to do with change? It's our cooperation. It's, 
It's what we have to cooperate with. God is loving us and pouring His Spirit out. He died for us when we're sinners. But how many know we've got to cooperate with His drawing, His love, and say, you know what, I repent. Amen, I receive your forgiveness and I want to live for you. I want to be a disciple. So it takes our cooperation. The word transform here means literally, it means that metamorphosis. We talked about that before when you talk about a change. Like the classic example of the caterpillar and the butterfly who turns into a butterfly. How many have ever uh, recently got... Uh, you know, a Disney movie out, you know, Bugs Life. It was a long time ago. I love that movie. Amen. And the caterpillar at the end. I'm, st I'm finally a beautiful butterfly. Amen. And his wings are about that big. But how many know there was still a transformation? Amen. And you know something about this and this metamorphosis that happens? Is that cat caterpillar was always called to be a butterfly. Always destined to be a butterfly. But how many know it was until the change happened that it became a butterfly, right? And you're always called. The Bible says that He's called you from afar off. God has always wanted you to be born again. He's always wanted to be in relationship with you. It's just that you have to submit to into that transformation. Amen. Of salvation. I love that. So it means metamorphosis, changing. It's a developing. It's, it's, it's the, it comes from words, means to fashion like. Or to adjust, like an adjustment of parts. Um, it also means to shape or a form, a new nature. And this is where we get this renewed and, and new birth idea, this transformation. In Titus chapter 3, 5, it says, It's not by works of righteousness which we've done. How many believe that? But it's according to His mercy that God saved us. By the washing of the regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. And so it's been a transformation that God does, a renewing, a new birth. And uh, I believe that we are being transformed by the work of transformation. It, this is a process. Now, if you, if you look at the, the scope of everything, uh, you know, I wanted to say that uh, this is different than when you're born again. This is at what happens after you're born again, after you have, uh, you know, had the encounter, the work of forgiveness in your life and salvation. Uh, this is, is a progressive work. How many believe that? Now, how many believe that, and, I, and I, I've heard people just say this, and I want to say that I don't believe that salvation is something that you work for, that it's a progressive work. That, that if, you, if you go to these classes, if, you, if you're a good enough person, and then you eventually will be saved. The Bible says that when you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you are saved. Any, anybody else believe that? I, I honestly believe that. But I believe that the process that we go through of discipleship and walking with the Lord is an ongoing transformation. It's a changing. It's an ongoing relationship. And so therefore, it's a progressive work that God's doing in our life. Amen. And what, what did we read in 2 Corinthians? Is it to make us a better Christian? No. Is it to make us politically correct? No. Is it to make us, uh, you know, uh, great people that represent the Door Fellowship well? No. It's about His glory being seen in the earth. It's about His name being ma made known. It's about Him. Is that right? I might be getting louder because I'm getting excited. So, you know, when we look at this in Romans chapter 12, the world causes you to conform, but... The kingdom causes you to be transformed. God causes, causes you to be transformed. There's a difference to conforming. Don't conform to this world. Don't fashion yourself like the world or follow its fashions and systems, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind towards Jesus Christ. And so don't allow the culture to persuade you to change from the work that God has done in you, is what he's saying. Be more persuaded about the kingdom of God in your life and not the systems of this world. 
Don't follow after the systems and customs of ungodly people and ungodly systems that are broken anyways. How many believe that without the Lord? But he said it has to have a kingdom mind and a Christ-like mind, and that is to be transformed. That it, and we can talk about your thoughts, which is a powerful lesson, but I don't have time to do that today. And how many know your thoughts, what you think, will change you? Yes, it will, one way or the other. But God changes our lives. And we see that when he says, by your thoughts or by, by your thinking here, it talks about what? It talks with the inside out. The Lord changes us from the inside out. Right? Amen. Yes, he is. Hallelujah. How many know there's something good on the outside happening on the inside and it's changing me? Amen. And so I'm being changed from the inside out. That's, that's exactly how it works. It's exactly how it happens. And so godly transformation, according to Romans chapter 12, look at it here. Number one, it's your position or your relationship in Christ. It says, by the mercies of God. It's in your thinking. And then finally, it's in your desire to change. It's in your desire to change. Is that right? <laughs> yes, it is. And so let me just give you this little transformation formula that I came up with. And yes, I'm kind of proud of myself for this. But it says this, I need to change. I want to change. I can change. And I think that's important that we walk people through this. And as we begin to minister to people who have really um, lost some things in their life and, and really fallen from a, a tremendous position and really come to a place of brokenness and complete brokenness, I believe that we need to be able to help them realize that they need to change, first of all. How many know just because there's a need doesn't mean people want to change? Right? Is that right? We look at people and think they're broken, but sometimes in their situation, they think they're okay. It's, okay, so that's what I'm talking about. So we need to teach them, you can change by wanting to change. But you know, it's important to understand, and, and this is what I want to spend a little time on, and that is, it's something amazing about change, how wonderful it is, how good it is, but how many believe there's a resistance to change? There's a hindrance. Oh, oh, all you church people who are backslidden for like 25 years, oh yes, you can say Amen. There's a resistance to change. There, there's a hindrance to changes. We are by nature resistant to change. We are by nature resist to good change. We are resistant by nature to re we are resist uh, conversion to Jesus by nature. Is that right? We don't want to be religious. We don't want to be good. We want to do what we want to do when we want to do it. That's our nature. But there's a resistance to change. And let me just give you a couple things about a resistance to change. And it's not just to salvation, it's in life in general. I've noticed this working with people. I've noticed that just coming up against these roadblocks of change, or these hindrances of change. And some of the biggest ones that I've seen, I just wanted to say, number one, it's probably desire. The want to change. You know, how many know you can't really do much with people that don't want to change? Amen. This is a town hall meeting for, uh, uh, you know, th th for, you know th this is church here. You just can't. And people that don't want to change. And we can't imagine sometimes that people don't want to get out of their situation or don't want to change. We can't imagine that. It's hard for us even on this side of the cross to imagine what it would be like. Wow, what was it like when I did not want to change? What was it like when, when I didn't want to and I didn't have the desire to change? But how many know it starts with change? You've got to want to change. And I've noticed that this can be a resistance to change, the, the, the lack of desire, because I, I believe personally that the biggest struggle for humanity is the correct and honest evaluation of our heart and our actions. I believe that's our struggle. I believe that we don't have an honest 
and a correct evaluation of ourselves. I believe we love to have a correct evaluation, an honest evaluation about everybody else. But when it comes to our life, how many of you ever watched these, these uh, live police shows, you know, on TV? You know, and here's somebody that, I mean, they got their hand in the cookie jar. They were caught at the scene of the crime. Their prints are everywhere. They got video footage. They got them talking on the phone. They got to write a letter that they wrote. They've got an interview with them. And they still say they didn't do it. Why? Because human nature, we don't want to correct ourselves. We don't want to evaluate ourselves. We, the, the, we, we want, I mean, the, I think in our nature is we don't want to judge ourselves. It's the bottom line. But you know, when, you're, when you face the reality that you're a sinner and Jesus loved you while you were in your sin and He did what, what you needed to go through, He already went through it for your sin and your disobedience and your disease and sickness, there's something where you say, you're either guilty or not, and you have to say, Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, I need to change. And it's in that, that place where we need to have an evaluation of our heart. That's what repentance is all about. It's when we evaluate our hearts and realize, I'm a sinner, I need Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And how many, how many know that's a big struggle, isn't it? It's a, and it doesn't matter what it is. We, I mean, I use the extreme of crime, but it doesn't matter what it is. I mean, just a little argument over a stick of gum with your spouse. I mean, you have a hard time making the correction, the honesty that you were wrong. That you, come on. That you, 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 is that right? Why? That's just who we are. And so people that don't want to change are never completely honest with you or themselves. I mean, that's just, we know that. And I think there's a lot of things that we, can, we can't do in life. But honestly, most things we can do, we just don't want to. Come on, that's human nature, isn't it? And so I believe that there's people that don't want to change. I believe that there's people that don't want God to change them. And I believe there's people that they want to change everybody else. Is that right? Maybe you have one person in your life that you know like that. But nevertheless, there are people like that. So I think there's things in life that, that really, if we realize it and look at it, and when it comes to our desire and our wanting to change, there's a lot of things in life that affect you and you don't even realize it. Did you know that? There's a lot of things that, you know, the way you think, the way you talk, the way you live, the way you dress. There's a lot of things you may realize they affect you, but not one thing can change you without your permission. Not one thing can change you without your agreement to it. Not one thing can change you, come on, without you saying, I want to change. I want that. That's what I want. That's what I want to be. And I believe that. I believe that there's a lot of things that can affect us, but not, there's things that we allow to change us. It has our permission. That's why he says here in Romans, you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind because you have something to do with it. You have something to do with it, right? Amen. And so I believe that people that don't want to change, they don't want to take responsibility. We know that. I mean, it's just, just plain to see that there's just some people, they will not take responsibility, and therefore, they hinder change in their life. Uh, there's people that can't ever see themselves as being wrong. They can't ever apologize or forgive other people. I mean, they can't even imagine. It's never crossed their mind one time that they could possibly be wrong about the stick of gum. Not one time. I mean, it's just not one time. Just doesn't even, I mean, they don't even, it's not even in their, it's not in their wheelhouse. I mean, the word, I am wrong, isn't there. I mean, you do a search and it's like, it's just not there. It's out, right? I mean, know that. There's just people like that. And so we've got to have that desire to say, I want to evaluate myself. I want to be honest with myself and see if I need to change. The hardest people to introduce to change are people that don't think they need to change. 
Amen. And so living in this, this denial of reality is sometimes we find ourselves or other people see that in their life. They live in this denial of reality. I've got to go back because it wasn't in my notes, but I've got to say this. Years ago, there was a bumper sticker, and I believe it was the NA, uh, AA put it out, uh, that would say, denial is not a river in Egypt. Right. Amen. And how many believe that? I've, I've had to say that to a couple people. Denial is not a river in Egypt. You've got to kind of live up to it a little bit. Amen. And so I believe that true change ha happens. True change happens when our desire to change overcomes our disability to change. Or our limitation to change. Or excuse to change. Why we can't change. Or our prolonging change. When your desire to change. When you say that I'm so sick of tired, being sick and tired, I'm going to change. When I'm just, I'm fed up with it, I, I've been pushed so much, I've had it for so long, I'm going to change. How many know when you get to that point, you're probably going to change, right? And there's some things, as we talked last week, that are motivators in our life for change. And this is really, again, this picture of salvation that really we can see is that how far we've fallen and how much we've sinned before the Lord and how guilty we are before God. We don't like to say that in front of a lot of people. We don't like to admit that. We don't like to say, we like to say that we came and got saved because we were broken and Jesus fixed us. But the truth of the matter was is we were criminals and Jesus forgave us. That we were, we were broken, yes, but, we were, but sin broke us. We were liars, we were deceivers, we were lust, we, we wanted what other people had, we were hurting other people with our words, come on, we hated people without a cause, how many honest people we got in the room, come on, amen, say, not from me, brother Matt, I was a good sinner, well, that's okay, we just talked about denial, anyways, the second thing I see is not just that the desire, or the, the lack of desire to change, but also bad listening skills. You know, if you can't listen, you can't change. I mean, if you can't listen, you can't change. You're not going to change. Let me give you some signs that you're not listening or people aren't listening. Here's some signs that people don't listen. They're not changing. They're not changing. You know, I mean, when your wife tells you like for the gazillion time and then you realize, oh, gee, maybe I'm not listening because I'm not changing. You're not doing anything about it. How many know what I'm talking about? The second thing is, is that you keep coming back to the same issues. You keep coming back to the same problems. You keep coming back to the same arguments. You're just not listening. Right? Amen. You confide in other people until they tell you what you don't want to hear. Then you go to somebody else. And so you've had like 50 counselors and 80 friends and, and five marriages because people are trying to, to tell you something and you're not listening. You don't want to hear it. That's, that's the bottom line. You just don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it from them. And, and so you go to somebody else and they have the same thing to say. That's pretty bad, isn't it? That means you're not listening. There's no peace. There's no rest. There's no answers when you're not listening. When you refuse to examine your life without comparison. When you refuse to just kind of say, it's just me. I'm looking at me. Instead of, well, it's, it's, it's this person over here, and it's this people group, and it's this group, and it's the, the broken system that I grew up under. It's a social uh, statistic that I label myself as. Uh, well, it's just a disability. It's, uh, let me see. How many know when you are honest with yourself without any other comparison, amen, you've got to face change. You've got to face change. And people, you know, they, they just don't listen, so they refuse to examine. And they refuse to come to the place where I could be the problem. I could be the issue. Maybe, maybe I could change, uh, and they just don't listen. So, you know, when you already have your mind made up, how many know that's not a good listening skill? 
When you already have your mind made up, you already know what you're going to say, you already know what you're going to do, you're wasting your time. You talk too much. That, that's, a, that's a sign of not listening too well. Oh yeah. yeah. You demand to be heard. That's, that's bad listening skills. When you demand to be heard and everybody else needs to listen to you and nobody else can speak. When you're arguing and, and you're defensive and you're confrontational about every little thing. We're talking about the weather here. We're talking about whether uh, it is, what, is it a raven or is it a crow? I mean, you've got to argue, you've got to debate, you've got to look it up, prove yourself, put the phone in people's face because you're right. Come on, right? You just don't listen. And, and Proverbs says a rebel isn't interested in the facts. All he wants to do is yell. And so these are people that aren't listening. And... Uh, and you know have these conversations with people when you already know the answer you already have your mind made up and when you hear what you want to hear not what you need to hear we've heard that a hundred times think about it when you hear what you want to hear and this is what's kind of frustrating about our culture today is when they ask you as a Christian how do you feel about this issue well you know you almost need to go into a 10 minute dissertation about what you believe and what the Bible says leading up to your answer because more than likely they're gonna hear what you didn't say rather than what you did say they're going to ask you, well, how do you feel about this? Well, the Bible says, oh, so you hate this kind of people? No, that's not what I said. That's not what I said. Oh, automatically you vote this way? No, that's not what I said. I didn't say that. Come on. And so that's what happens when we live in a society, really, that's away from the Lord. So the other thing is, is not just that you don't want to, want to or you don't have the desire to, or you're, you're a bad, you have bad skills in listening, but you're unteachable. Someone who's unteachable will not change. They just won't change. They don't want change. They refuse change. They, they abhor change. They can't stand it because they're unteachable. Someone who's unteachable is someone who makes excuses. They make excuses for everything. The Bible says that a lazy man is full of excuses. He says he can't go out and work because there is a line outside that might overcome him and eat him. I mean, no, that sounds ridiculous. But he believes it because he's just as we would say, full of it. And so he's full of excuses and he makes excuses. We see this in Jesus' day. Jesus said, come follow me. Well, I've got this and I've got that and I've got that. And just as soon as I'm done, then I'll follow you. How many know those people probably never followed Jesus? Amen. So, you, you know, and then also, you know, we, just simple things. We shift blame. Now, this is a complex talent that people have worked and worked and they're very good at. They just can shift the blame. They can, I mean, it's just like boom, boom, real quick. I mean, it's just that quick, you know. And we, we live, people have lived their life and everything is about somebody else's fault. Some, and they'll never change. They won't change as long as they do that. I mean, know what I'm talking about. It's always, it's always this, it's always that. It, I mean, I could have been a pro athlete that made millions of dollars if it wasn't for this. If it wasn't for this person and high, you know, come on, whatever it is. And we, we dream of accolades and all these things that we could have and should have and, and would have if it was only for this, it was only for that. And we shift the blame. And so we, we become unteachable when, uh, and then therefore we become unchangeable. And so people who are, are getting way too much and they still want more. These are people who are unteachable. Because they can't learn to be thankful and grateful and then give to other people and make use of what they have. So they become unteachable. They just want more. They want more. They want more money. They want more position. They want more power. They just want more. And uh, they will not be uh, teachable. People that keep making the same mistakes over and over again are not teachable because you haven't learned from that mistake. And so what you want to do is you want to pull everybody else into your mistake. And then you want everybody else to suffer for your mistakes. Right? 
Okay, I'll just get through it. And so, you know, people who aren't willing to do the work, these are people who are unteachable. In fact, they want you to do all the work. They want other people to do all the work because they're unteachable. People that are unteachable really are people who want, won't let go of issues. They're just not learning from their mistakes, not learning from their, from their hardships. They're not learning from the things they go through. They won't let go of issues. They're unteachable, therefore unchangeable. And so what I mean by that is what I said last week is that sometimes in order to go get through something, you've got to get over something. And you know, I've found this in my life, and as much as the Lord loves me, I'm telling you, this has happened to me many, many times. The Lord has brought me in, I had really great devotions, and I feel so close to the Lord, and maybe during worship, and I feel the Lord lean down in my ear and just get close to me and say, get over it. Oh, that's got to be the devil, because God would only tell me something nice. He loves me so much, He's going to tell me to get over it. Let it go. Forget about it. Just let it go. Get, just move on. Just, just go to the next page already. Just, just get into tomorrow already. Amen? Right? And how many know that you've heard those loving, piercing words from the Lord? Just get over it. I just get over it, you know, and I think, I think sometimes, now it's not easy sometimes. I, have you ever talked to people that that's all they say? That's, that's kind of their philosophy in life? Deal with it, suck it up, get over it. How many have ever talked to people like that? Everything is about that. And how many know you just can't do that about everything? You just can't get over a death. You just can't get over something, a, a divorce or a brokenness. Or you just can't, it just isn't, you don't get, just get over it. You need, there's a process of healing. And we know that, right? Come on. But there's some people, that's, that's their answer for everything. Just deal with it, man. Suck it up. Pull yourself up. Pull, pull up your big point pants, you know, and all this stuff. It's like, well, you just can't always do that in things in life but I'm going to tell you something there are times when the Lord tells you that and I think it's a good time to hear it and the Lord always tells you when it's a good time because you've been whining for a couple months and you know you're praying about you know someone dying going to hell and, and you know praying curses on them and the Lord's just a little fed up with that he's like let's move on let's let's get over it amen see and see when I do things my way I'm saying I don't trust God I don't trust the Lord to change me I'm afraid he's going to change me into something that I can't control myself. I'm afraid that he's going to change me into somebody that has to love everybody. I'm afraid that he's going to change me into someone that has to give than more than I'm giving right now. I'm afraid that he's going to change me and he's going to make me be a better husband and a father that's there for my children and be a, a great worker. And Amen. So the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.7 that there's people that actually are ever learning, never changing. They're always increasing in knowledge, more knowledge, more knowledge, but it doesn't do them any good because they're not learning anything from it. How many know we need to be people that are changing from what we learn? Amen. We're teachable people. And I believe that if you can't be taught, you can't learn. If you can't learn, you can't grow. That's just, that's just what I've seen in life. And I, I like this, that people change when they're hurt enough that they have, have to. You know, when people are hurt enough that they have to, they change. When people learn enough that they want to and people receive enough that they're able to. There's true change that comes. And I believe that people are affected by when you change. And, you know, how many believe that there's people that are affected by when you change? Anybody? People are affected when you, when you go out of your house and you go next door and you love on somebody or just talk to introduce yourself, maybe make a meal for them, do something nice for them. People can be changed by that kind of stuff. But equally, people are, changed, are affected by when you don't change. 
when you don't change. And you just, you just continue to see the facts. You continue to know, to have the knowledge of it, and you just won't change. How many know people are affected by it? And so what you do and how you change affects not just yourself, but other people around you. And great change can affect people in a great way. I believe that. I'm so thankful for people who have, have gone before us and given their life for us who have sacrificed their life for our freedom, who have sacrificed their life that we can have what we have today. Can anybody say amen? I'm glad for those people. I'm thankful for those people because their change made a difference in my life. Amen. And so we, it affects us. And so there's a rippling effect that if you're not a good listener, you're not a good learner, and you're not a good leader. And I don't mean by you being a leader in the church or being a leader on your job. I'm talking about a leader in life. You're not a good leader in your home. You're not a good leader in your, on your job. You're not a good leader. And the Bible says that we lead, lead by example. We don't lead by just preaching to people. We lead by example. We lead by serving. We lead by our actions. We lead by how we love people. And come on, faith without action is dead. I mean, it just, you lead by that. You lead by, so, so that's what I'm talking about when I say, if you're not going to be a good learner, you're not going to, uh, a listener, you're not going to be a good learner, and then you're not going to be a good leader. And I believe that people would rather follow a leader who wants to be real rather than a leader who wants to be right. Amen. And then finally, we just don't, we see this as we progress here about change and the hindrance of change. People that don't want to, uh, people that um, aren't good listeners, people that are, are un, you know, um, unteachable. But also, here's one, here's a hindrance of change is people that are trying to change other people first. See, the quickest way to change somebody is through power, force, and abuse. But the lasting change in other people is through examples and your actions. I don't know what I'm talking about. Oh, you can, peep, you can change people. You can make them do things. But how many know it's probably not the most healthy way to do it? But you know something? When you have a, a heart to really just show people the love of God and you, to pray for people, to just live your life the way God tells you to live it, amen, I believe that there is a lasting change of people. Because honestly, the world doesn't trust us as Christians. Let's just be honest. There, I said it. They don't trust us. They don't trust us because they think we're another kooky religion. They think we're a cult. They think we're weird. They think we're just outrageous. There's a lot of things and a lot of reasons why people don't trust us. So guess what? By the love of God flowing through our lives and us being examples, we can break down some walls and build some trust between people where they'll say, you know what? I love this God that you're serving and I want to know more about him. Amen. And so that's just the way it happens. Amen. And so wanting to change other people First, there's a lot of people that I think that uh, kind of take the ministry of reconciliation to another whole nother level. The Bible says that we've been given a ministry of reconciliation. But I believe that some Christians got off a little bit and they thought that they have the ministry of straightening people out. We used to call this, you know, a lot of this what we call in Bible school the pitchfork ministry. You're always hearing the message for somebody else. You're always like, man, I wish that they would be here this morning. They really needed to get right with God. I wish my neighbors would stop. Man, they need to get right with God. They need to, I mean, come on, what we call the pitchfork ministry. Amen. Always hearing the message for somebody else. I'm going to take notes and I'm going to send this to my son because he definitely needs this on rebellion. <laughs> Amen. So I want the ministry of reconciliation, not the ministry of straightening people out. Amen. 
I don't want to worry about that. And Jesus taught us always to take self-inventory first. Always before you look at other people, before you make a judgment call, before you make a decision about other people, always look at your own heart. Always look at yourself. Always come to the place and say, am I changing? Have I changed? Am I willing to change? And will I change? Right? I love people that feel like they changed one day and then now they can go straighten everybody else out. Or they try change. They went to the gym once and now they can coach everybody else. Amen. It's a problem I don't have. And so one of the things I believe that God gives us wisdom in, in this. God gives us wisdom in a couple things when it comes to other people. God gives us wisdom is when we need to see those who are in need and those who want help. Those who are in need of help. There's a lot of people who are in need of help. And there's a lot of people who don't want help. So God give us the wisdom to see people who, those who want help. Jesus went to people who wanted help. Not just in, in need. And he healed people. But I believe that every person that Jesus healed, they wanted to be healed. The Bible never records anybody that didn't want to be healed. I don't want to be healed. Oh, I'm healed. Oh, really Jesus? I didn't want to be healed. Are you kidding me? They just, you know... Healing was moving around the room and all of a sudden they were healed. Like, I didn't want this. Are you, I, just, I just came to here. I didn't want to be healed. Amen. But Jesus went to those who needed it and, and who wanted it. And he went to those people. So God help us to find the needs in our neighborhoods and our families of people that really are longing for it and really want it. Amen. Right. And so we need to have the wisdom of how to give people room to change. We've got to give people room to change and grow. Make decisions, good or bad. We've got to wait for people to change. Isn't that hard in life when you've got to wait for somebody to change? Boy, that's tough, isn't it? That's really tough when you've got to wait for someone to change. But aren't you glad that the Lord is long-suffering with us? Oh, oh Lord, He has been long-suffering with me. Amen. I mean, He just waited for me and waited for me and waited for me. I mean, it's like I was, you know, walking around the... You know, that obstacle that, of issue. And it was like every time I walked around, he waved at me. Hey. You know, I mean, just waiting, waiting for me to finally learn my lesson, humble myself, turn and take my journey. Amen? He's just, he's just so long-suffering, the Bible, like that. Amen. That he just watches you make mistakes. He watches you fail. Loves you through it. And then he just waits, and he waits, and he waits, and he waits until you finally decide, I'm going to change today. Amen. That's a good God, isn't it? Amen. And we need to also learn that how do we move on from people who don't want to change. I think we need to do it gracefully and move on from people who don't want to change. And that's very important, isn't it, when we're helping people with addictions and people um, in need. It's, it's very important to understand this. Without being, a, uh, it's not a lack of compassion. It's just, amen, the, the issue of the heart. And so the difference between giving up on people, we've got to know the difference between giving up on people and giving people up to God. Amen. How many know we're, we're not in the business of just completely walking away and saying we're giving up on people. But there's times in our life you've got to give them to the Lord. You've just got to give them up to the Lord. You've got to say, Lord, they're in your hands. They're in your hands. Amen. They're in your hands. And, and some of you, that you know, it's going to make some tough decisions. You might have to put their stuff outside of the house. You might have to cut their phone bill off. You might have to do some things, make some changes and some decisions that aren't comfortable with you. But it's for their benefit in the long run. And, and that's hard for us, and that's hard for us as people because we don't want to seem like the judge. We don't want to seem, uh, you know, be hated. We don't want to be put in that position where people are going to have to be mad at us. But how many know, amen, the Lord does this in our lives, and He does it in a loving way. The Bible says whoever He loves, He corrects. And He, he does it in such a way 
that we will learn for ourselves. He doesn't do it in such a way that we rebel against Him, but He does it in such a way that we turn back and say, Lord, You really love me. You really do love me through this. And so the, we need to learn these, these lessons. When to leave and when to stay. I mean, you know, we need some lessons on that. We need to learn those things. Some, some stay way too long and some leave way too early in a situation. Amen. But we need wisdom when, when, when all these things that God is helping us. And so let me just say this real quick, that there are some blind spots in our lives. How many believe that there's areas that we can't see? Like in a car, they always say that there's a blind spot. Ever been going down the highway and you have been behind a tractor trailer and they've got a picture on the tractor trailer of the, the, you know, the, the truck and then it's blind spots. How many have ever seen those pictures? Because there's blind spots. And in our lives, we have blind spots. But aren't you glad for the Word of the Lord that helps us with our blind spots? I mean, the Word of the Lord is so good. The Bible says that it's clear, it's accurate, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it helps us see, this is my version that I'm writing, by the way, uh, to see blind spots. And so we need blind spots. But you know, this is what the Bible says, that the Word of God is for reproof, instruction, and correction, that we can see the areas that we need to change in. And then also, it's so important that you surround yourself with other people who give you godly feedback. Amen. Who really talk to you and really counsel you and help you. Amen. And they help you with the word of the Lord to see some things in your life that you need to change. Amen. If you have friends that really speak it like it is and talk to you like it is. Amen. You need to be thankful. Amen. And you still have a relationship with them. That's even more important. Amen. Hallelujah. Because the first thing we like to do, our nature is if somebody says something we don't like, tells us to change, we just want to leave that person. We want to get that person out of our lives. We want to I'll see you later. I've got to find new friends. But how many know those are sometimes the kind of people in our lives that we need? Amen? Right? Oh, yeah. Sometimes they're called moms and grandmothers and aunts and dads and, come on, uncles and people in our lives. And I believe the greatest power and the greatest resistance is at the cross. I'm going to end right here. I've got one more point. I'm going to end. The greatest power and the greatest resistance is at the cross. Is that right? You can have the greatest power in surrendering to the Lord or you can have the greatest resistance in what the cross represents. Many people don't want to deny themselves and carry their cross. Amen. And I, I believe also that there's one thing you can control in life and that is yourself. Amen. And so we need to say this prayer today. Lord, I need to change. Jesus, change me. I, I, you know, there's, a, there's an old song that said, it's not my brother, it's not my sister. But it's me, oh Lord, that stands in the need of prayer. Now, a lot of us said it's me that stands in the need of a couch or a car or a vehicle. No, but Lord, it's me that needs to stand in the way of change. I'm the one. I'm the one. I don't care what anybody else does, Lord. I need you to change me. Maybe you're going through a sickness or, or disability that it's so frustrating. It's just so frustrating. But how is the Lord working in your life through this? God wants to do a work in your life. God wants you to get to the place where these things don't bother you, as Paul said. All these things that don't bother me because I know nothing can separate me from the love of God. Can we stand on our feet today? If you look at the scripture in 2 Corinthians, and this really talks about a life of change. Because if, if we're talking about, it says back here that nevertheless, when the veil is, when people turn to the Lord, the veil of their heart is taken away. They believe in Jesus. Now the Lord is that spirit where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Then we will all open face, beholding in a glass darkly the glory of the Lord, are changed from the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. So there is a, there's a word here that I just want to bring out in closing. 
The word transformation, we talked about in Romans chapter 12, there's a word that comes out of the word of transformation and that is a word transfiguration. There's a word called transfigure, which means to become something or to change. It also means to become exalted or to cause something or somebody else to become exalted. And we remember the story of Jesus on the mount, what we call Mount of Transfiguration, where he's talked with Moses and Elijah about how he was going to die. And the Bible says that when he came off that mountain, that he had brilliant white clothes. And it was an example of what happened at Moses. When Moses went up to the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, the Bible says that his face was shining like the sun, that insomuch that people could hardly look on his face. Something happened. There was a glory that he saw and there's a glory that Jesus had when he came off that mountain. He was changed. He was transfigured. He was, he was different. He was the only one with, with white clothes. Can you imagine? Amen. Jesus had the first white suit. Amen. I love it. Amen. White suit preacher. And he had that. He changed. He looked different. He was different. It wasn't something that he had to go around telling people, I've been changed. I've been changed. I've been changed. Everybody saw the change. Why? Because he'd been with the Lord. Because he talked with the Lord. Because he did what God called him to do. Because he changed in the image of God. What I mean by that is, we're, we're worried about looking like somebody else we're not. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about while he was in the presence of Jesus, something happened in his life. He was changed. That's what I mean. There was a change that happened in his life when he got into the presence of the Lord. And the Bible says, beholding. Beholding, as in a glass darkly, as in a mirror, beholding Jesus Christ. This, this glory to glory that we're being changed and transformed into. There's something amazing. Paul said, look, don't look at your current situation. Look at the glory that's going to come out of it. Look at something. He said, I'm convinced that what you're going through is not compared to the glory that's going to come out of it. And some of you are going through something that looks bad, it looks bleak. But listen, look to the glory that's coming out. Look into the face of Jesus. Get in the presence of God and be changed. Change your attitude and your outlook and your thought life. And say, I was thinking different about this person. I hated this person. I was mad at this person. I don't want to forgive this person. But God, I can't stay that way when I'm in your presence. Uh, something happens to me, amen, that when I get out of your presence and you do a work in my life, everybody's going to see it. I don't just talk big, I actually forgive people. I don't, just, I don't just shout at church, I actually go and minister to people, love people and give to people. I actually do something about it. Can you say amen? Well, this is where we're being changed, and here's the key, by the Spirit of the Lord. The words that I say today may stir you, but ultimately can't change you. It's the Spirit of God that you agree with that brings change in your life. It's when you hear something and you say, I believe that, that's when you begin to change. The Bible says that when we're born again, we heard the gospel and faith came into our heart and we believe that Jesus raised, I mean, was raised from the dead. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord, right? Change comes by when you hear, but then it doesn't stop there. It happens when you agree with that and say, I believe in that. I agree with that. And so the next time the Lord says, this is where you need to change. Be quick to say, I agree with that. I agree with that, Lord. I agree with that. Change me, Lord. Change me. Today, you might be thinking about everybody else that wronged you and is wrong in this situation, but I want you to ask yourself, Lord, do I need to change? I'm willing to change. I want to change. I can change. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you today 
for your changing power, your transforming power, the ability to do what I cannot do myself, what I can't do in other people, what I can't do in my, even my own heart. I need help. I cooperate with you because it takes me to make up my mind, a desire to do it, a willingness, a teachableness, but then it takes the work of the Holy Spirit to do it, Lord. Because God, I can't do this by myself. And as Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing, including change. I can't do it, Lord. I need you. Today, there may be people, Lord, that are here in this room that are struggling with addictions, are struggling with a situation that's over their head, beyond their control. Lord, we want to come to a place that you're helping us change in this situation. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we put away all the excuses. We put away all the blame. We put away all the denial today. And we just say, Jesus, change me. I want to change. I need to change. I can change. And I thank you, Lord, that you're not just going to change my heart. You're going to change my life. And you're going to change the world. You're going to change my world, Lord. And I thank you for that. Let's, let's lift our hand to heaven and just pray for those that are in our lives that need to change. Lord, we just bless them today. We pray for family members who are away from you. We lift them up to you today, God. We know that they've come from a place that where they were or what they need. We see that. But, Lord, they don't see that. So, God, you've got to do something in their heart that they would see that. So we ask that, Lord, you would get closer to them. Draw close to them, Lord. Draw them by your Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would just show your grace to them today. Show your mercy to them today. Reveal your love to them today. God, that they can't help but come to you, Lord, through your love. And I just thank you for that, Lord, in the name of Jesus. And we believe these things. And everybody said? Amen. Amen and amen. God bless you today. Amen.